0: Rahim. and welcome to my favorite day of the week <laughs> the day for another new Quran Halakha um, just I wanted to welcome everyone this is such a gift and such a special treat that we could gather um, I mean you, you guys know that it's just like living with all of this knowledge is it, it just weighs on you and so um, every time that the professor starts telling me how much it's weighing on him, I always nudge and go, please give us a halakha. So then last minute he decided to do that. And then last night we were sort of talking about this and he shared with Sharif and I what halakha he was going to cover today. And then he said, it's your fault because it started sounding a little scary because this is like these ones, you know, every chapter is just so weighty and, you know, he reminded us that now that we have this knowledge and it's been given to us, that it's not just like a nice satisfaction of your curiosity and understanding, but this is actually now something that you will be held accountable for because, you know, you've been given the knowledge and now you're on notice. And so I had a little fit of, oh, my God, this is really scary <laughs> and if, you know, five, five, Um, Holocaust so far have now increased, you know, my accountability on the final day, I was like, well, I don't know, maybe we don't want 114. I'm totally joking. But yes, of course we do. Um, But, you know, it just was a reminder that it's like there's a responsibility that comes with this knowledge. And, you know, it can like really make you feel like, oh, my God. So alhamdulillah, I mean, alhamdulillah, because I would rather know and be held accountable than be, you know, kept in ignorance. And so I feel really grateful that we have another opportunity um, together. Um, And just a quick update. So we are now, like, you know, we had made the... um, the the goal that at every 25 additional donors is a milestone we would have another new Quran Halakha we are three donors away so that's the equivalent of three people saying yes I will give hundred dollars a month for 12 months or thirty six hundred dollars and then we can have another Quran Halakha inshallah so um so let's let's do it um and I just uh wanted to tell you, actually, just to announce, um, you know, we've been doing a lot on the fundraising and marketing side, just trying to, like, strategize about what to do. We have some um, really, you know, exciting plans and ideas that we're working on implementing. But one of the most exciting things is just to announce uh, the name that we came up with, because a lot of people had mentioned, well, you know, New Quran Project is a little bit, you know, nondescript and not very exciting to build anything around. And there are other projects out there called the Quran Project and so forth. But so after some brainstorming, we came up with the name um, Project Illumine, I-L-L-U-M-I-N-E. And then the subtitle is The Light of the Quran. So I think it's a really beautiful name, Project Illumine. And um, it has a lot of, you know, um, sort of mentioned, like, it creates a lot of imagery of, like, light. And I think that the the, the words themselves are kind of um, beautiful and that, you know, I can imagine how they could look with proper you know, calligraphy, scripting, or styling, or something like that. So it's something very beautiful to build on. So we'll, you'll hopefully see more of that in the future. Um, also, um, we started actually teaching at the law school this semester. This this week, the semester started for the professor. So we are kind of back to reality, um, real life, and um, more demands. So um, I say that just to say, um, you know, we have a lot going on, um, and that you know, apologize if people are reaching out or emailing, and um, I'm not getting back to you. It's just an overload of things. We're usually buried uh, under one mountain, and now I think we're buried under two mountains, so please forgive, you know, any delays in getting back to people, Um, and on that note, just to say um, we had announced um, a week ago or two weekly emails ago that the applications are now open for people who are, you know, would like to be considered as a student working with the professor on um, Project Illumin. And the deadline for that, it's really just, it's simple, it's two questions, um, which is, you know, just to tell us about yourself and your background, and secondly, why you're interested in doing this. And I just wanted to comment that, you know, I've received a few emails that, I apologize, I have not responded to, but there are some people who have asked the question, like, you know, what's involved? Um, You know, I'm wondering how this would fit in my schedule. Um, You know, here's my circumstances. I'm sort of excited to know that this is a possibility. And I just wanted to say, I mean, just from my my point of view, if, you know, this is an opportunity to really, you know, learn something incredible that becomes part of you that you can carry on to future generations, and it's 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 a way to train yourself to be in service to God. And if your questions are geared around how this will fit into your existing schedule, then this is probably not the project for you. So this is something where it's like, you know, it's a a major sacrifice where you're taking a year out of your life at least to immerse yourself. It's not something that you do part time. It's not something that is gonna have to conform to your schedule. It's really something that I think you have to believe in so much that you're sort of willing to sacrifice whatever you've got going on in your life and just plunge into this. Um, If that's not where you are, of course, there's no problem with that at all. And we, you know, our our goal and hope is to have weekly halakas and so if you guys are even able to keep up with that, you know, I'm super impressed because that's a really difficult thing. You know, if we're having five and six hour halakas every Saturday night, and um, you know, that's a ton of learning. It's hard to keep up with already. And you know, also with the khutbas and everything like that. So you know, this this immersion program is not for everyone. And, um, and there's no shame in that. Um, this is just, you know, we're looking for, you know, gifted students who are, you know, prepared. And of course, that's going to be up to the, to the Sheikh to determine. But as far as scheduling, um, and you know, how it fits into your life, I think that's a really good understanding of whether this is something that, you know, would be good for you or not. So um, anyway, and with that, um, I just wanted to welcome everybody. It's lovely to be together again. It's this, again, like, um, it, it really helps, especially during the pandemic, to feel connected with you know, people who, who share a passion um, for the quan with you. So thank you for joining, and inshallah, looking forward to an amazing session. Mm-hmm.
1: Just uh- بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والسلام على محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه إلى يوم الدين السلام عليكم Everyone how are you guys there um, are there any people hiding? I most of you have your cameras on. I think there are there three people without the cameras on?
0: Yeah, my camera's being problematic. I'm trying to fix it. It's City
1: Oh city Hi, Jenna
0: here, but I'm in public. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What, what, what
0: Did
1: you
0: see that? What? Okay, Um, Serene is having problems with her camera, and Jana is in public, so she can't really be seen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what does that mean?
0: It's a, I'm going to turn on my camera soon, I promise. <laughs> she's going to turn on her camera soon. Oh. She, she's being a stealth um, learner. Oh, okay. And I know, and, and oh, what? Where's uh, Rami? They're running just
1: a few minutes behind. They have the camera on, but they're just running. They let me know, so okay. they're, they're there. Okay. Bismillah. Inshallah, we will uh, talk about Surah Al-Hijr. Uh, before we uh, plunge into that. Um. Just a couple of things. On uh, on that note of responsibility, uh, yes, learning. Any learning. Um, there, there is a great ajr in learning. There is a great reward. Uh, every time your knowledge increases. There is a certain po- opportunities and potentialities of blessings that open up to you. Knowledge is a great blessing. Um, the more knowledgeable you are, the closer you are to Allah. Uh, the closer you are to barakah. The more barakah is available to you. Um, in many ways learning is like stepping being placed into a vehicle a a vehicle was great amount of energy and power and um, capabilities and so there are you can take this vehicle to 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 great distances. At the same time, there there is a responsibility that comes with learning. In that, your life before learning a surah and after learning a surah cannot be the same. One of the worst things that people do is. Knowledge is to satisfy a curiosity, um, but their life remains centered around their egos. Uh, it remains centered around the I, um, the endlessly selfish I. And that is definitely a problem. Uh, your life before learning a surah cannot be the same as after learning a surah. It doesn't mean that Allah expects you to transform overnight or instantaneously. But it does mean that once you, Allah blesses you with a knowledge and with possibilities and you know that you have stepped into that special position of being able to draw closer to Allah in, in ways that even you can't imagine um once you are aware of that is that you must strive and strive hard to transform your life through the knowledge that you've acquired it is extremely wise to keep track of what you've learned in five surahs so far i mean and that's of course i'm not counting the tafsir that i've given before um, or any of the halakat, or any of the khotab, but, but let's just focus on on this um, the, um, the the new material, the the five surah we've done. It is very wise to keep track of what you've learned, whether you keep what whichever way you keep track of knowledge, uh, whether you do write notes or you um, whatever it is. And to go back and to consistently and persistently remind yourself of what you've learned and to internalize it and to work hard at having this knowledge act to change things about yourself that, you want to improve or that you suspect you are going to be held accountable for in the hereafter. Um, Hold yourself accountable now before you are held accountable. In this vein, Grace, can you grab the... Um, remember, and I think I've talked about this somewhere before, that the companions of the Prophet, alayhi we have a number of reports that they would, once the Prophet, alayhi would receive a revelation that they would work together to, to, to implement what they've learned and that they would once they've turned in once they've turned a quranic revelation uh once they've internalized the quranic revelation and uh they move on to the next in other words once they've effectively implemented the quranic revelation they move on to the next and we know that there were uh, uh various groups whether known as the Qur'a or that were basically groups that focused on studying and learning the Qur'an together. We also know that the Prophet among the the system that was adopted um, is people were it's called Mu'akha, where basically there would be a, a sisterhood or brotherhood declared between certain people or organized between certain people who helped each other become better Muslims. I think the system of fidelity and is, is very important to work together to help one another become better Muslims. And in our case, to work together to turn the learning that you've acquired into actual um, concrete life transformations. And so in this context, I want to suggest to you something that I've done uh, and it was very effective for me and it it helped me a great deal. Much more important, I mean, I've, I know that some of you have uh, created reading groups and, and so on. Reading groups are useful, but they're, they're an intellectual exercise. I mean, they, 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 they engage your intellect, you have conversations. Um, they don't necessarily induce life transformations. What I would like to suggest to you is that you form um, not study groups, that's not the point, but implementation groups. In other words, you form groups that discusses the this, this soar that you've learned, the soar that we've had halaqas on. Um, Particularly the five that we've talked about is Sajdan, Yasin, Yasin, Ar Rahman. The five that we've covered so far. To go over, to have a discussion amongst yourself about what you've learned in the halaqah, what type of life transformations th- that learning would require of you. I would suggest that uh, uh, the the group would be between people that um, uh, that you feel comfortable with because it would require these discussions would require a certain amount of honesty and transparency uh leave your ego aside the, this is not these are not um uh, groups to prove your uh, how much Islamic knowledge you have or to prove how intelligent you are or to prove... In fact, the, the, these groups must be premised on humility and a sincere desire to draw clo- to help one another to draw closer to Allah. Uh, if you don't have a sincere desire to see your brother and sister uh, move forward... To help your brother and sister, uh, then then, um, then you then then this process is not gonna work for you. Um, the, this is not about um, serving your ego. It has to be about in fact humbling your ego. And where you discuss what type of changes you think the learning of the surah. Uh, would be needed, or, or what type of changes would be needed from the, what you've learned, and then to help one another to, in fact, enforce these changes and bring these changes about to life. And um, to hold each other accountable. I mean, not, you know, you don't, this is not a confessional, but to, you know, if what... Uh, if you decide, for instance, that um, just an example, that for instance, what you've learned is that you should never you should not lie. Um, and you'd say, okay, I'm going to see how long I can go without uttering an untruth. And then you when you get together, when you meet, um you discuss with each other frankly whether in fact you are able to hold to that commitment or not. I think these types of um, f- um these types of um spiritual unions are far more effective than reading groups or than all the egoism that we engage in. Um, and, and I'm not, of course, I'm not putting down reading groups. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've. I've um, you know, I I have enormous amount of respect for that as well. But what is more important, w- when w- w- is when the Quran speaks about a certain amount of brotherhood and sisterhood between Muslims. It is talking about something that needs to be blessed by Allah. The, the barakah of Mu'akhah. Uh And that barakah only comes when people come together to, you know, an Islamic expression, to vow in good deeds. And vowing good deeds means what? You know, we've turned it into rhetoric, into dogma. But vow in good deeds, it doesn't mean bragging or egoism or, you know, pretending to be a scholar or pretending to be an imam or pretending to be whatever people pretend to be these days. Vow in good deeds means this type of helping one another come closer to Allah. Um, you know, groups groups that I belong to early in my life, we would, sometimes we, we would, Challenge each other to for you know the most fasting, the most praying, uh, the most um works and sadaqah and um, um, social works that would help people, Uh, uh, whatever it is that the you after studying surah come to agree on as something that. You collectively make a commitment to come closer to Allah. Um, so and there is, and it is very important that these groups have no uh, no leader. All of you are leaders, and perhaps all are, however you, way you organize it, whether you know you you, you rotate uh, discussion leadership or um, have rules for discussions that you abide with. But again, these groups cannot be about a person's ego or someone stepping forward because they have a more um, assertive personality or anything like that. Um, This is my strong recommendation. and it would be of great benefit to you every once in a while if if one or more groups it doesn't have to all be the same group but i mean there could be several groups that are is born out of this uh it depends on how you know how you feel about each other and how you feel about working together um every once in a while a a group can invite me to uh meet with them and answer questions or something like that, but this is something that has to be driven by you and your desire and, and by a passion to turn what you learn into real life. Um, any questions about that or is the idea clear? no questions um the the other thing is some um while the halakha is going on it is very important that there are uh, uh, that there are no side chats um uh, of course, you know, in it, it is as a rule of etiquette and a, as an important step to keep your full attention and focus on material, because we're learning the Qur'an and there's nothing more honorable than learning the Qur'an. Um, you should not engage in any sidebars, uh, Writing a question directed at the teacher is okay, but questions directed at each others or comments directed at each other are not acceptable. This is exactly the same like being in a classroom. And when I'm in class, I don't allow any side conversations between students and all comments have to be directed at the teacher, not at... uh, not, uh, not by students at each other. The other thing is a, a a question that came up. Um, about teaching this material. And why I don't allow. The students to teach this material. This is not about. Learning a certain amount of data about one surah or another, and then transmitting this data to others. This is precisely uh, the segmented approach to the Quran, is precisely what has caused so many problems in our relationship with the Quran. The fir- the, we said that the first rule of learning is humility, but the second rule of learning is patience. And the reason you need patience is that the message of the Quran is an integrated whole. You don't know the Quran until you've learned the entire Quran. until you have the message of the Qur'an inside of you. Anyone that steps in a position of a teacher, there are a responsibility and accountability that an accountability before God and a responsibility that they carry before society, before themselves, and before God. And the responsibility is one of adequate and sufficient knowledge. And when it comes to the Qur'an, for someone to teach adequate and sufficient knowledge is in fact equal to knowledge of the entire Qur'an. You cannot present if you know if um if someone comes and says what is political asylum since i'm teaching political asylum this semester uh what is political asylum about and you know they let's say they attend a week of classes and in that week of classes we are covering um something about the legal doctrine that differentiates between a refugee under american law and a political asylee and it sounds very interesting and they learn which form you fill for refugee status and which form you fill for political asylee status and they say oh wow this is very interesting can i go and teach this to people well In American law, it would constitute malpractice. Why would it constitute malpractice? Because if you teach people that and only that without knowledge of the entire process, you will end up giving advice to people that will place them in a great amount of legal difficulty in the future. Because it is not just about learning what form to fill for refugee status and what form to fill for political asylum status, but it is also learning the evidentiary standards that apply to both, the the exclusions that apply to both, the the, the entire edifice of legal doctrine that is necessary to say anything useful about political asylum. Partial knowledge, and especially when it comes to the Qur'an, has created an enormous amount of problems for us as Muslims. So, this material that you are learning is for your transformation. So, you change until the point that you've gone through the entire Qur'an and your teacher says and the teacher in this case is me because this is com- this material is coming from me i am satisfied that you have sufficiently mastered this material for you to go from self improvement to in fact instruction and for me to do that i would probably test you i would have a effectively an oral exam i would question you about a variety of things, and if I'm satisfied that you've in fact mastered it, I might say, you know, by Allah's blessings, go and teach. Um, but if I'm not satisfied, I say you don't have my blessings to teach. One of the things that happened to us as Muslims is that we've lost these, you know, while we have these intuitive um awareness about teaching medicine or teaching engineering or teaching um, law we, we intuitively know that we, you know you don't you, you're not going to teach something partial and you're not gonna say that I can teach uh, when it comes to these professional things that are ways to make money but unfortunately we we've we have And again, I mean, it's through the history of colonialism and brainwashing that we've gone through. We've lost that type of entire institutional structure. Um, So again, I underscore that the material that you are learning in these halakhas is so that you transform, so that you become your own project, your own student, you now are your most important teacher and you are your most important student. Um, It might be that after you've acquired enough knowledge, sufficient knowledge, that I would say, okay, I'm satisfied that you've mastered this material enough that you can step into the position of a teacher and start Because uh, the minute you you step in a position of teacher, people will also look at you as an authority, whether you like it or not. And people will give you a certain amount of deference, whether you like it or not. And people will also ask you questions, whether you like it or not. And people will expect answers, whether you like it or not. And even if you tell people, you know, I'm just a transmitter of information, I'm not a teacher, whether you like it or not, you have placed yourself in a position of authority. And the, that, the, the responsibility is greatest when the knowledge involves revelation. And in fact, the responsibility is not nearly as great when the knowledge involves things other than revelation. Okay? Everyone with me? Jenna's still hiding. <laughs> That's not Jenna. No, it's Jenna.
0: It's Jenna. She's coming. <laughs> she's coming. She said she's coming. She said she is coming. Yeah,
1: I read something down there. I'm just picking on her for fun. Oh. Okay. Bismillah rahman rahim Oh, I I was. Uh, yeah, about about this this. Uh, I know that some of you uh, have have told me they don't they don't like it when I say this but um I and I know that I'm not this is not directed at you guys this, this is so that you'll have a 5 minute clip or a 3 minute clip that you can use um I I keep uh, I live with this material and I've lived with this material for a very long time. And things keep happening in life that just constantly remind me how much the Qur'an has to say to us and how we as Muslims are so disconnected from our divine, from from the Qur'an. I mean... It is remarkable that we have a living prophet between us, amongst us. The Quran is our living prophet. And it is remarkable the extent to which we ignore that living prophet. And events keep just rolling in our lives, you know, whether it is in our American context, uh, the death toll from coronavirus to Black Lives Matter to what just happened in Wisconsin, to the the Emirati-Israeli deal, to some people writing, saying that Muslims should support Trump, to some people, um, uh, somehow it, it end up blessing the, 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 the betrayal of the Palestinian people through that Emirati-Israeli deal, I'm talking about the the thing I gave a khutbah about the, uh, the the Council of Muslim Scholars that work with the Emirat and Bin Baya and Hamza Yusuf deal and so on. Um, and throughout all of that, what keeps again and again and again just sm- slapping me in the face is the extent to which we are ignorant of the Quran. And because of our just lack of basic education about the Quran, it is very easy for some of us to pluck out a few verses here and there and cite them out of context and win propaganda arguments this way. I mean, it's a completely rhetorical device, but as a living moral agent Amongst us, raising our moral consciousness, raising our ethical consciousness, um, uh, the 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 extent of ignorance about the Quran is just truly dismaying and heartbreaking. And the part that people don't some people some people told me they don't like me like me talking about is when I say that the burden that I constantly feel is I often think about how long I'm going to be on this earth and whether I'm going to be on this earth long enough to unload what I'm storing in this brain. And and maybe it's just completely unjustified but I think I am justified in in worrying about how much I'm going to get to unload before I leave this world and it and again maybe this is arrogant I, I, I don't know but I often think that if I go to my grave and I haven't unloaded at least my journey with the Quran um it, it's and this is what the the thing that, that makes me come out of the den and go uh to Grace and start complaining about you know, I, I basically tell her little snippets. Did you know that in Surah such and such there is this and do you know that in Surah such and Salsa is this, uh, and it's always in the context of it's going to be very sad if I leave this world, and I haven't explained that snippet. And of course, the the fact of the matter is is that I don't. Uh, in at the, again, this is my own perspective. I the we're not raising. I, and again i'm I'm not you know you guys might have a different perspective the people who are actually involved in fundraising, but from my perspective the the raising of funds is not going as fast as I would have liked, so I've already began teaching uh I'm already stuck with teaching um at least for the fall semester, possibly for the whole year um and it is really exhausting to teach during the the so I, I don't think I'm going to be holding a halakha every weekend this semester it's just I, I don't know how that would be possible my appeal to Muslims I know that I, mean, I don't want to preach to the converted the guys who are on the screen but my appeal to Muslims is just listen to one of these halaqas if you can't listen to all of them just take just visit even what you know you don't have to do surat ar-rahman or surat Yasin because they're longer if you are convinced that you've never heard this material anywhere else work to generate the funds so can i can unload this knowledge before i leave this earth i, I think it that's the, only, that's the only way I can put it. Um, I mean, ultimately, uh, I accept whatever Allah wills, but Allah only helps those who help themselves. If you know, is it are there a lot of scholars and a lot of people that could have benefited the Muslim Ummah, but the Muslim Ummah failed them? And because the Muslim ummah failed them, Allah took them away. Absolutely. And not just scholars, but prophets. So, you know, Grace sometimes says, well, Allah will never allow you to leave this earth before unloading what you know. Well, that's not true. And I know Grace wants to believe that, but that's not true. There are prophets who... Allah allowed to leave this earth because their Ummah failed them. And I'm, you know, and these are prophets. And, it, it, and there are many, many, many great scholars, far greater than I could ever be, um, who died very young, who were killed, who were jailed, who were tortured. Who were, um, and, and it was the Ummah's failure. So, yeah, I I mean I I've I'm accustomed to to um, I'm accustomed to not receiving support, but I, I it just saddens me. It it saddens me that if I if I go to my grave and I have not gone at least through. I mean, there, there are dreams for the entire Sira, There are dreams for several other things In Islamic philosophy and so on, but I've even given up on on the possibility of getting there. Uh, I'll just be happy if I can cover the entire Quran uh, before leaving. Okay. Surah Al Hijr. Al Hijr is again. a Meccan revelation, one of the transformative su'ar or the su'ar that were revealed in Mecca to, to sculpt and, and shape and form the Muslim character. You know, I asked about Jannah, but I don't see Cheyenne. Where's Shane? Oh, here he is. Okay. Why aren't they together? Are you guys mad at each other?
0: Okay, are they okay? They're
1: fine, I'll be Okay. um as, as long as you're fine it was al hijr was revealed after surah yusuf um and, and it's 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 rather interesting because we according to the reports we have we, the, the the there was the isra and miraj surah al isra surah al isra was a true test to the face of the early Muslim community because after Surah al-Isra, there are those who believed that the Prophet ascended to the heaven and visited Jerusalem and so on, but those who whose faith was not as strong and ended up leaving because they refused to believe al-Isra. So it is as if uh, the uh, first we had Surah Al Isra and a, a process of cleansing of Muslims of weak faith from Muslims of solid, strong faith. And then right after Surah Al Isra, we had Surah Yunus, Surah Hud, Surah Yusuf. All three focused on the legacy of prophets. So all three. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet and readying the Prophet for the the what is going to come. And basically it's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not as if in fact it is. The, the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet, okay, now you've gone through this 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 trial and tribulation, this this very difficult test many people refused to believe you and left and the amount of the number of converts to islam is not growing it's it's it had remained it reached a certain point and then the numbers remained constant for a while in mecca this is of course all before the hijra and the Allah then teaches the prophets, educates the Prophet ﷺ on the legacy or the, 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 um, uh, the legacy of Hud, Yunus, and Yusuf. Each of these suwar telling the Prophet how his own sunnah relates to the sunnah of previous prophets. That in fact, it is one continuous message that Allah has been sending with constant and common themes that people who, keep, who bear a cause to others, so it's, it's sort of like the narrative of what happens to those who bring a cause, a cause of enlightenment to humanity and then after the revelation of Hud, Yunus and Yusuf you have Surat al-Hijr and Surat al-Hijr so on the one hand it is talking to those who remained Muslim so people of of um, who stuck with the Prophet after the 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 night journey, the Isra and Maraj, and the night journey, as we said, tested a lot of people who didn't want to believe that the prophet ascended to heaven and went to Jerusalem and so on, and said, "No, this is too too far." And in fact, what intensified at that point was the the accusations of the Meccans uh, of the prophet, accusations of being insane, majnun, being a sorcerer, a sahir, um and so on. But particularly, a sorcerer and majnun, uh, and insane. Uh, you know, he's insane to say that he tra- ascended to the heavens and went to Jerusalem. This is craziness. Uh, and to the extent that he is showing signs of prophecy, then it must be sorcery. So Surah al hijj then comes at that point telling Muslims something about what is expected to them now when Muslims at this point they don't know that they, soon they were going to be migrating and building an entire nation an, an entire state by when they uh, migrate to Medina But underscoring to Muslims some of the most basic and essential principles in the way they relate to the Quran and in the way they relate to Islam and the way that they relate to living a life with a cause living a life with a cause. So, Surat al Hijj, which starts with Alif Lam Ra, in among the, the series of su'ar that start with Alif Lam Ra in the Mecca period, they have a very fascinating characteristic. While Speaking to the Prophet so they're directed at the Prophet. They they don't they don't say Ya yeah, Amanu. They are speaking to the Prophet Muhammad. But at the same time, what they tell the Prophet Muhammad والسلام, of direct relevance to anyone who wants to follow the example of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ, as we will see. So it is, the message is, okay, Muhammad, Allah is telling you, Allah knows what is going on, knows the amount of suffering you are going through, knows the hardship. Allah knows that there are people around you that disappoint you, there are people that support you, there are people that um, impress you, there are people that don't impress you. Allah knows this entire thing and Allah has a message to you but that message transcends being a message to the the historical moment of the Prophet's lives to speaking to and addressing anyone that wants to follow or seeks to follow the, li- the the Prophet ﷺ as an example in life. As we will see, inshallah. The other thing about Surah al Hijr. Is that personally, for me, Surah Al Hijj was among the surah that was most, in fact, impactful in my journey in re-reading the Quran and re-understanding the Quran. Uh, and as I said before, that it's a journey where you you first suspect certain things and then they grow into convictions and then they grow into an entire theory um and and a doctrine and then you 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 the good scholars will will often after learning something they they'll they'll sit on it and let it simmer, like cook, like you know a good meal. Um, you don't bad scholars. The minute they they think they learn something, they they rush to announce it to the world, to announce the world to the world their discovery, and that, and that's why you know they're constantly publishing. You know, every few months they have a new book out or a new article article out, because they think everything they think of is. Uh, worth uh, sharing. Um, the, the, that's not the way you you, you deep, well-founded scholarship um, doesn't work that way. Uh, well-founded scholarship, you sort of you after you you even think you've learned something, you sit there and you study it and you test it and retest it and retest it. So Surat al-Hijj was very instrumental in this process, and and why. Two things, Surah Al Hijj alerts us, as we will see, or have we been cut off? Uh, to Al Sab' Al Mathani, and that's the the Fatiha, as I'll explain in a, in, a, in a second. And so it was uh, one of the surah that flagged for me the importance of the Fatiha as a key to the entire Quran. Second, is that magnanimous ayah in Surah Al-Hijj, Keep worshipping Allah until certitude comes to you. To we often say and it is very common by the way and it's it's a it's it's a weakness that all human beings share and we all share uh, and, and to say that well yeah yeah i'll 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 worship allah and i expect allah to help me in iman but the vast majority of human beings the vast vast majority of human beings are so impatient that the amount of worship they do if you if you can if you take it as as a percentage of their life is very limited and and yet they they expect iman to come to them from the fact that they spent you know uh, five minutes in each salah, five, five and five, that's 25 minutes a day. The fact that they spent maybe 25 minutes a day praying, well, why isn't Iman, strong, solid Iman coming to me? Well, Surat al-Hijj has one of the most important um, declarations to the Prophet himself, alayhi something that we all should learn from or we are all invited to learn from about the importance of ibadah, in a word, dhikr, uh, as a way of unveiling knowledge. Now, that doesn't mean that you do ibadah and ignore research. You you, you have to, you, you can't, I mean, so Surah al-Hij is the way that convinced at least me, in, in my journey, that in the same way you have to be diligent in research. So you have to do your homework. You have to go to read all the tafasir. You can't just ignore the, the science and say, oh, I'm just going to rely on my own understanding because I'm, I'm so brilliant, I'm so gifted. That's delusional. So many of us engage in that delusional in delusion. But at the same time you can't just rely on research and say, well my scholarship is enough. The path to Allah is through ibadah. And worship Allah until certitude comes to you. So it gave me the dual tools of al-Fatiha and of dhikr as a means of investigation and study and exploration. So in, but in the same way that Surah al-Hijj was truly transformative for me in, in my journey with the Quran, I think Surah al-Hijj was transformative for those early Muslims at that critical moment after the isra al-Mi'raj but before the Hijra to Medina, build these, these powerful, strong, solid Muslims that will then go on to impress us as they build an entire state in Medina. And it starts out alif lam ra and as we said you know we don't want to get into what the what these letters mean um the, the I'll just, you know I, and i don't remember if i said this before but some have suggested that um alif lam ra uh, uh, is part is the beginning part of ar-rahman so you have Alif Lam Ra, and then other suwar start with Hamim, and then another suwar start with Nun. If you put them all together, they spell out ar rahman And there are many other uh, different, uh, some of the some of the theories are very esoteric about what alif, ram, ra, alif Lam Ra mean. But again, I think I mentioned before that Alif Lam is part of a series of seven surahs that start with this configuration Alif Lam Ra. Okay, alif lamra, oh, before, I'm sorry, before I do that, let me tell you the, uh, like, um, like other surah, surah al-hijj follows that same structure that we've talked about, where it has five or six parts, depending on how you you, you count it, the, the first part, Part number one is a clear declaration, in the same way that the Fatiha starts with Bismillah Rahman Rahim. Surah al-Hijj starts with a clear, clear declaration of an unwavering truth. It a, a truth that that is the beginnings, the starting point for everything. And that truth is in the case of Surah Al-Hijj, as Dhalika Kitab uh تلك آيات الكتاب والقرآن This is the 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 clear, truthful, reliable, unwavering Quran. This is where the locus of the truth is. So, number one is a declaration about the truth, true about truth itself and the relationship of the Quran to truth. Then it moves. Number two, the second part, it moves to sp- addressing the Prophet ﷺ directly, and the trials and difficulties of people not believing the Prophet. Um. That's the second part. Third part, it takes the Prophet ﷺ into a journey about creation and nature which we've seen again in a constant theme. Uh, Fourth part, it goes back into a history lesson, nature and history. We always see the Quran bringing up nature and history uh, in order to educate the soul and the intellect in their relationship with Allah. So the, the fourth part is the history of past nations, the fifth part, it comes back to the, the idea of the cause and speaking to the prophet about his mission and about the very principle of people living with a cause. What does it mean to live with a cause? And, and you don't, it doesn't, as we will see, I mean, it could be just living a principled life it it, could, it doesn't necessarily have to be that you are you know an an activist or an advocate or someone that wants to change the world it could be simply that you want to live a principled life and you just don't want to drift like others drift and then the sixth part or it depends on how you you count but it's either five parts or six parts but arguably the sixth part would be a declaration about the straight path and and we'll we'll see the and we've seen that basic structure which i mean if inshallah if if i get the opportunity to to train some of you personally then we will be able to explore how the fatha gives you the keys to open up to unlock each of these surah and understand the basic narrative structure of each surah okay so the surah starts with something that grabs your attention and a powerful, unwavering declaration about this book itself, and it tells you right out: this Quran, this book, is there for ibana ayat kitab al-mubin, that ibana is what clarifies and distinguishes and differentiates truth from untruth. This is like the first step. You you have to believe that this book can reveal the truth to you. If you don't believe it, like the Isra and Maharaj, it's either you believe the Prophet when he tells you, I've ascended to the heavens and went to Jerusalem, or you don't believe. If you choose to believe, fine. If you choose not to believe, then you can't be a Muslim. So immediately Surah Al-Hijj comes and, and like, grabs your attention and says, okay, listen, the, the, you, there's no wavering about this. It's either you believe in this book as the word of truth, or you don't. This is a, something that makes or breaks it as a deal if you're not willing to accept this, then this, this is a deal breaker. Then there is no point. There, there is, you know, saying I'm not sure, or yes and no, and as we will see for Surah al-Hijr, this is really important. You know, if, if, wavering and being wishy-washy, we're not going to get anywhere. Now, why is it so important that Surat al-Hijj underscores that foundational issue. Because Surat al-Hijj is going to challenge you or is going to... um, I'm trying to find the right word... um, Emphasize or underscore or or just um, uh, set as a foundational point that there are so many people that approach the truth with wavering convictions shaken beliefs that with and those same people will often approach the truth through a partial gaze a partial gaze that is often self-serving but those people are doomed to failure. So and and, and I'm going to, to, to clarify this, and as we see we, we go on that journey with Surat al hajj that bring it, that you have to commit yourself to embracing a methodology of Um, not segmenting and compartmentalizing the truth. You have to commit yourself to embracing the entire message of the Qur'an. If you want to live as a principled human being or, or as a person with a cause, it cannot be that you are with the a principle at times when it serves your interests, or when you feel like it, or when you're in the mood, or when you're, you know, you, you manage to resist shaitan thought, and not with the principle at other times. A principled life is a full commitment to a a, a, a um, to a uh, uh, and a, what is the word I'm looking for a principled life is a full commitment that in that requires a conscientiousness that is constantly ongoing as we will see and and this will become clear I'm, I'm not expressing it too too well or explaining it too well right now okay so tilka ayatu al-Qur'an al-Mubin This is the truth then it takes you to a shocking second statement Perhaps those who are kuffar Ladina kafaru, rubbama yaddul ladina kafaru, law kanu muslimin Perhaps the kuffar will wish that they are Muslim. And this, in the same way that it gave pause to the early Muslims, it gives pause to Mufassirun over centuries, it gives pause to any uh, uh, engaged reader of the Quran. What do you mean that the kuffar would wish to be Muslim? And perhaps Rubbama, perhaps the kuffar will wish to be Muslim. At the time of the revelation, at the time of the Prophet Muhammad alayhi s.a. Salam, the Meccans mocked this declaration and said, the, the, this translation says, it may be that those who disbelieve will wish that they have submitted. It's very interesting, the way they translated it, I'll explain why they translated it this way. No, it, that's not what it says. It's What it says is, perhaps tho- those who are kuffar, those who are Kufar will wish to be Muslim. So, and the, the kuffar of Mecca mocked that and said, well, if we wanted to be Muslim, we would be Muslim. What do you mean, perhaps, we would wish to be Muslim? The tafsir books, when they looked at this, they said, well, the way this would make sense is that if it's talking about the hereafter, that the the time will come when after you, in in the hereafter, Uh, those who are kuffar, when they see that they're going to go to hell and they're going to be punished, they're going to say, we wish we were Muslim. And that's why you have that translation. They they would uh, perhaps, or um, it may be that those who disbelieve will wish that they had submitted. The way that the translation puts it, it gives you the, the sense that it's talking about the hereafter. Um. That it's talking about the hereafter, and that they, 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 you know, they will regret what they've done. But if you look at the the context of the revelation, Yawad رَبَّمَا يَوَدُّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا كَلَوَكَانُ مُسْلِمِينَ ذَرُهُمْ يَأْكُلُ وَيَتَمَتَّعُ وَيُلْهِيْهُمُ Amal, فَسَوْفَ يَعْلَمُونَ and then it, it moves on about إِهْلَاكْ وَمَا أَهْلَكْنَا مِنْ قَرْيَةٍ إِلَّا وَلَهَا كِتَابٌ مَعْلُومٌ and so on. So, if it is talking about the hereafter, why that word رُبَمَا it may be or perhaps. If it is talking about the hereafter, what it says, okay, so let them let them play and uh, uh, frolic, uh, and yulhihum al amal which we'll talk about, and and be f- uh, uh, fooled by wishfulness. They will know. Well, it is not a matter of uh, whether Allah says it may be or perhaps. The kuffar, according to the Quran, in the hereafter, certainly, for sure, are going to be in a state of regret. So much of the Quran tells us this, right? That once you see the punishment, if you have not led good life, once you see what's going to happen to you in the hereafter, there's there's no maybe and there's no perhaps. In fact, you will be in a state of regret. So why is it that Surah Al-Hijr starts out with rubbama perhaps or it may be? This is why a lot of the Mufassirun said, "No, this can't be talking about the hereafter." And in fact, the reaction of Meccans at the time of the Prophet a.s. A.s., in mocking this ayah and saying, what do you mean perhaps we, we, we want to be Muslim, um, it is a further indication that it was understood as, real, as saying something other than simply the hereafter. I will come back to this because you, you I can't um, give you the answer as to what it means until we've covered more of the surah, because it will become very clear why, in fact, when it says it may be that the kuffar will wish that they were are Muslim, it is saying something really important Not just, I mean, I I don't agree with those who said that it is talking about just the hereafter because the Quran has talked about regret and and kufr in the hereafter in many, many other occasions, and it it never has a tentative um, or conditional attached to it. It is always asserted as a matter of certitude. So we'll come back to this. No, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give you a, a little bit more about this <laughs> because I think it will help you. So, for instance, in Mataridi, one of the great uh, theologians of Islam and who has a very influential Quranic tafsir, said that when, when Surah al-Hijj in this ayah, when the ayah says that perhaps they will wish to be Muslims, Or it may be that the relationship of human beings to truth is not a black and white relationship. Truth comes to you and leaves you. It visits you and eludes you. So, Motaridi, I'm just going to say it in Arabic first and then I'll explain it. Um are what do I had to kuffar for your court for your in Yadharu Lahum al Hak, Lakin and Lady Amnahum for what haja and haja to Dunya? That it is, in fact, the, 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 the truth that those who do not believe have periods, or instances, or situations they find themselves in, where the truth comes through to them and flashes before them, and they might see it just for an instant. But because of Intervening reasons, whether these reasons are often, according to Mataridi, when he says Hajjah and "hajrat Dunya, that for because of, of material selfishness, they, they decide to turn away from that truth. But in the context of Surat al Hijj, the reason this is so important is what Surat al Hijj is telling you about the relationship, our relationship to the Quran, our relationship to a cause. Our, our relationship to the truth is that we often segment and yield the truth to our own whims mm-hmm. rather than make a comprehensive, total commitment to a cause and way of life, as we will see. So, in fact, when it says, <laughs> and and, uh, there's still more to to say about this that I'm saving, Um, but that, in fact, there are moments, fleeting moments, that even the kuffar, and especially as we will see when when the Quran at moments penetrates through to their hearts, and they see the truth for a glimpse, but they allow the truth to slip away. And it's telling the Prophet, والسلام, something very important about the nature of being a human being with a cause. People will gather around you like some gathered around you, and then the minute the Isra and al-Ma'raj came, they left. Because unless people make a thorough and coherent commitment to the truth, they are plagued by hypocrisy and plagued by contradictions. And these contradictions will be their undoing, as we will see. So, After telling the Prophet this is this book, pay attention because this book is the truth. Second, know that even the kuffar that are giving you such a hard time now that have caused you so much torment for you and your wife Khadijah and your family Ali and and your friends and your uh, Abu Bakr and Omar and others. That are taught even those you know it, it is not all black and white, they can see glimpses of the truth that escaped them and and, and as we'll see the 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 punchline that the surah is saving for the end is, is is even more powerful about. What is what is the constant reason for failure? The surah gives you the answer at the beginning and then gives you the answer again at the end. And what is the answer? amal. This is a very important Quranic expression. Most of the people that never manage to live a life that is in good standing with God is because they have been mis- misled by hopefulness. They tell themselves whether these, this hopefulness is, well, if there is a hereafter, I'm sure Allah is forgiving. I'm sure Allah will Or, I do believe in a hereafter, but I'm really hoping that Allah will overlook my sins. I don't want to make a full commitment, because it's too hard. Okay, how about the fact that you know by not making a full commitment, you are failing in so many things. Well, you know, God is loving and merciful and and it will be okay. Hopefulness, that's yulhihumul amal. Whereas the surah is telling us and it's teaching the Prophet, and teaching the believers something really important that we have for centuries ignored. Surah al-Hijr, as we will see, inshallah, is saying, it is not that people are evil sworn enemies. People are often just wishful. And it's sad, it's tragic, but know that O oh Prophet Muhammad alayhi, wasalam, alayhi wasalam, that those who betrayed Hud, Yunus and Yusuf those who left you after al isra al-Ma'raj, those who are going to abandon you after Khadija dies, those who are not going to migrate with you, in other words, all the failures that you are going to see, and as we will see in Surah al hijj all the failures that are breaking your heart, it's because people don't commit to the total and whole truth, they commit to what they like. And they live wishful lives. And taking Allah for granted in that way is not okay. Because to live a wishful life, you have to take Allah for granted. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, saying, oh, it's like, you know, I'm going to cheat on my wife and she'll forgive me. Well, if, you, if you're a wife or a husband with dignity, you say, you can't take me for granted like that. You can't just assume I'm going to forgive you. I mean, who are you? Now, imagine if we as human beings don't like to be taken for granted. We, we think it's, it's humiliating. If someone in, insults you and just assumes that you're going to forgive. You're being taken for granted, and you think it, it's it's an affront to your dignity. Well, how about Allah? And how many of us do this with Allah all the time? We just assume that Allah will be okay. Oh, Allah will be fine. What we're doing is that we just don't want to confront it, so we just escape confronting it by failing to make a total commitment to the path. To the straight path to Surat al Mustaqim, as we will see. Now, why is this education really important for the Prophet? Because the recipe Surat al hijr is going to give the Prophet, as we will see, is what do you do about it? Forgive and turn away. Pity these people. Don't hate them. The, it is not your... Even when eventually there are going to be battles fought, the command of the Quran is consistently to the Prophet <laughs> is even when you are forced to go to war with these people, you, you have constant compassion for them and a constant sincere desire that they see the truth and sadness that they fail to do so. Not hate, not anger, not rancor. As, as we will see, some theologians who are fond of saying that the verse on the sword, ayat is safe, abrogated the Ayat of Forgiveness in Surah al-Hijr. We will get there, but that, that argument is is clearly wrong in my opinion. The, the Surah al-Hijr was one of the foundational surahs surah, that is formative for the Muslim character as to what the right ethical approach is. Uh, it is a constitutional surah not a surah to be abrogated but you know the 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 those the, the those who followed the imperial islam types are the ones who sorry i, I have to go faster with surah al-hashr because i'm Um can can we take a 2 minute bathroom break? <laughs> 3 minutes. <laughs> Count 3 minutes. No, no rush. Okay, I'm I'm going to give you like a, a 1 minute clip that you can cut and post separately. Okay. So, here's 1 minute clip. Bismillah. Ya, ya, umma Islam. Ya, Muslimin. Muslims out there, everywhere. I am a man who, for as long as I know, Allah, when I was born. As a very sick and ill baby. As I grew up there are two things that I fell in love with. I fell in love with beauty. I've always loved beauty. As Jamal and And because I fell in love with beauty I fell in love with the Quran. Please Give me the opportunity to share with you my journey with the Qur'an. Please give me the opportunity to share with you what I've learned about the beauty of this book. For whatever it's worth, give me the opportunity to offer it The beauty of this book is unparalleled. What it has to tell us and what it has to teach us is the core of our identity and the core of our moral consciousness and the core of our moral compass. Without it, we are nothing. Without it, we are not a people. We are not an ummah. We are not even Muslims. We are a shadow. We are a shabah. And a shadow comes and goes. It evaporates and appears. It has no reality to it. Okay, so after that penultimate statement that it opens up with, grabs our attention and says, okay, pay attention, I'm going to teach you something really important here. Surat al-Hijr then moves immediately to tell us Something about the relationship of Allah to humanity. Wama ma a min koreatin illa waleha kita bun maalum. Ma tosbikum in ummatin ajalaha wa majesta khurun. Wa kalu ya ayuha lezi nuzila lehi zikru in nakala majnun. Low ma tatina bil meleikati in kunta minasadakin. مَا نُنَزِّلُ الْمَلَائِكَةَ إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ وَمَا كن كانوا إِذًا مُنظَرِينَ إِنَّا نَحْنُ نَزَّلْنَا الذِّكْرَ وَإِنَّا لَهُ لَحَافِظُونَ وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ فِي شِيعِ الْأَوَّلِينَ وَمَا يَأْتِيهِمْ مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا كَانُوا بِهِ يَسْتَهْزِئُونَ كَذَلِكَ نُسْلِكُهُ فِي قُلُوبِ الْمُجْرِمِينَ لا يؤمنون به وقد خلت سنة الأولين ولو فتحنا عليهم بابا من السماء فضلوا فيه يعرجون لقالوا إن إنما سكرت أبصارنا بل نحن قوم ولقد جعلنا في السماء بروجا So it takes us immediately up to Ayah fifteen verse fifteen saying what first telling us you have to understand that this creation has an owner, has a malik. And this malik, this owner, this Rub controls the evolution and development of history. History is an educator, but it is not an haphazard educator. It doesn't just unfold for solely material reasons that are impulse and reaction, but in fact, it is directed. And that, understand that the rise and destruction of people follows a logic, a divinely dictated logic, and a divinely dictated time. So you, prophet of God, and you believers of that prophet of God, understand that If there is success, if there is victory, it will be from God. And if there is failure, it doesn't unfold because God is oblivious or unknowing. In fact, failure and victory is part and parcel of the involvement of the divine. Notice that after verse 4 and 5, Saying that clearly asserting God's involvement in which nations rise and which nations fall, it takes us in verse six. They they say to you, Prophet. You are insane. And you say to yourself, well, wait, why did it have to assert or powerfully remind the Prophet that failure and success comes from God and at the same time immediately say to him, they they call you insane, and we know, Allah knows that they call you insane. Go back to this idea of a person was a cause, and a person was a principle. You who live a principled life, you who live a life with a cause, you, prophet of God, the reaction of people to truth, to principle, is when they when it challenges them and defies them, is to simply say, Okay, you're an idiot. To undermine your credibility. The the they often the only thing that they can accuse you of is, oh, you just don't make sense. It makes sense. Oh, you're just not, I just don't believe you. Inna la majnun sums it up. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that they are accusing you of have no rational faculties. They're, they're accusing you of not making sense. Expect this And not only expect this, that when people challenge those who live with principle and with a cause and with a conviction, they will say, well, you know, we believe in material existence, material things we can see and feel. And if you really wanted to win us over, well, show us. ...material proof by having these angels come appear in front of us. Angels here, it means for the belief in the unseen. Belief in Ghaib. If you're really truthful... ...if you really want us to believe that you are not insane, you're not crazy... ...then have these ethereal beings become material beings, so we can see it. In other words, yield to the logic of materialism. Yield to the logic of materialism. But then, but then, immediately, the Quran tells us, you know what? you have to understand that it is not about physical, material manifestations. It is about the psychology of people. There are people that regardless of what proof you show them, they're not going to believe. So much so that then it tells us that even if Allah would take them and have them travel through the heavens. That even if Allah would make them travel to the heavens and they would see the throne of God, they would still disbelieve. How would they disbelieve? They would say, نَحْنُ قَوْمٌ They would say, oh, it must have been hallucination. So know that there are people that are simply not going to believe you. And they're not going to, and they're going to call you crazy. And they're going to denounce your lifestyle. And they're going to denounce your cause. And they're going to denounce your principle. And they're going to do that because they're committed to disbelief. They're committed to to their own way of life which is, you know, a material way of life, a, 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 a life that is based on consumption and enjoyment and a, a, a life that is built, is based on existence on this earth and nothing beyond this earth and that they are so committed that even when Allah or if Allah shows them signs that might invite them at times to wish they were Muslim or to want to be Muslim, they are going to find a way to say it didn't really happen. Oh, it was just a hallucination, oh, it was just a dream, oh, it was just um you know it 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 it's the mind is a powerful thing that would you know would make you see things that are not there. So it is not about material, physical existence or proof. In this context, I just have to point your attention to ayah number nine: "In Inna nazanna Inna lahu la This is taken as a promise by Allah that. as different from or compared to or in contrast to the, the Torah and the Injil, the earlier revelations, which have been corrupted, they were not preserved. Um, they were recorded hundreds of years after the death of their prophets. And because they were recorded hundreds of years after the death of the prophet, the dhikr of Musa and Isa and other prophets were not preserved. But the zikr of Muhammad, the zikr here means the, the, the revelation, the Quran of Muhammad, the, Allah promised to preserve it. And so in, if you look in you know, books of tafsir, you, you find a great deal written about how this was a promise that the Quran would be preserved, unaltered, and uncorrupted, and so on. But it's also sends us a message that is saying, you know, there are people who are just not going to believe in the Qur'an. And it doesn't matter to what extent you show them that the Qur'an was preserved, they're just not going to believe. And subhanAllah, of course, you know, we see that if, if you are in the field of Qur'anic studies and you see, unfortunately... Unfortunately, what some Muslims who go to Western universities and uh, especially, you know, departments of religion and, they, you know, then they, they buy into some very weird arguments that the, about Syriac and Aramaic and the influence of Syriac and Aramaic on the Quran and they, they come up with these very contorted and forced theories all to argue that the Quran was not, uh, is not authentically preserved um you see the truth of these of this revelation okay so a, an interesting footnote here when it says. When it says, um, when it says that they call you insane, a number of Quranic commentators, among them Imam Al Mataridi, um, note that part of the reason that you, they're called that they, that they accuse you of being crazy Al-Matridi and a number of other theologians say that this is because people who believe in this cause like Muhammad والسلام, and like all the prophets يظهرون الخلاف والجبابرة that Part and parcel of this cause is defying tyrants. And tyrants are in the practice of killing and torturing those who defy them. And that for most people to go up against tyrants is a form of insanity so note here what are the implications of this in our modern language is defying power it's very significant that at the same time that you see all these muslims these days who tell you that our relationship to power political power i mean should be submission and obedience you should In the Islamic tradition, there are many who believed that the essence of Islam is defying tyrants and that for the common person who lives without a cause, well, the way you should deal with power is to befriend power, not defy power. And this is a, a, my understanding of the Qur'an is that there is no way that you can befriend and absorb the Qur'an in your heart and live and accept the corruptions of power as just and right. If the Qur'an penetrates your heart, your relationship with power will be either defiance or at a minimum distance. That is why for me, any person that claims religious authority or positions himself or herself as an expert in Islamic sciences and is close to the annals and institutions of power, for me, lacks credibility. Their credibility is suspect. To honor principles and ethics, at a minimum, you must maintain distance from power and the corruptions of power, if not outright defy it. And so it is interesting that at least the way, because this is something that you know has been obfuscated in Islamic history, Muhammad was seen as a man who defied the institutions of power in Mecca. And because he defied the institutions of power and stood with the powerless, he was accused of being crazy. But this is precisely the point that if you also look at the Quranic revelation about the story of the prophets from beginning to end, all these prophets stood in defiance to the corruptions of power. And suffered as a result. I mean, many of them paid very dearly for that. Now, note in verse 12, again, another thing that deserves a, a pause. How did it? So, note it says, This is translated as. Thus we place it into the hearts of the guilty. Now, if you are studying the Quran carefully, you pause and you say, Wait, they so we we've sent the dikr, the Quran, and we will protect it and we we've a, a, a repeated story that we send the truth and people defy the truth and they deny the truth and and in fact these, there are some people so committed to not seeing the truth that even if we took them up in the heavens they would still deny it deny it and say we hallucinated so, when this verse says, fi qulub So that thus we place it in the hearts of the guilty, place what? What is it talking about? What is it, is it that is placed in the hearts of the guilty? Is it saying that? What we place in the hearts of the guilty is defiance of the truth? In other words, that they want to disbelieve, so God says, okay, fine, then I will help you disbelieve, and defiance of the truth is placed in their heart? Or is it saying something else? Now note here, and this is when we talk about the eloquence of the Quran and and just the this is precisely the type of things we mean. The use of the word doesn't mean place, it doesn't mean something that is placed in the heart, it means something that passes through the heart. So if you wanted Seraqa Shay means to pass through something so what is it that passes through the heart remember this beginning of the, uh, the, the of the surah perhaps those who disbelieve would wish to be muslims the truth visits the hearts of the disbelievers but it doesn't settle there it doesn't nest every all of you this is again educating the Prophet and Muslims about the nature of truth the truth visits the hearts of all types of people and Whether it nests or doesn't nest depends on what you do with it. Most people, the truth comes to them, tickles them, grabs their attention momentarily, but then eludes them, escapes them. That's what muslikuhu is. It comes and passes through. And because they fail to make the commitment, it is not that they make a commitment to falsehood, no. It is that they fail to make a commitment to truthhood. Because they fail to make a commitment to truthhood, they remain confused. And because they remain confused, they are susceptible to convincing themselves that they didn't see the truth. So if they rise up in the heavens, they're going to say, oh, we hallucinated it. When you say we hallucinated it, it's not that you are committed to falsehood. You are committed to confusion. You are committed to being lost. That's what Surah al-Hijj is telling you. Now it's time for me to give you a little reveal. As we will see, this surah is called al-Hijr. This begs the question, what is al-Hijr? As we will see, the word Hijr occurs in the surah, but it occurs in a context of referring to a valley. For years I wanted to understand why the surah was called al hish I you know if it just refers to the valley uh, in which the Qaum Saleh lived it, it doesn't make sense because it could the surah could have been called any other thing. So I did dhikr on it, I prayed on it, and I prayed on it. And then I remembered in the course of these prayers something very important. The Qur'an itself tells us in a different surah, هَلْفِي qasam li the حِجْرٌ the Qur'an itself reminds us in a different surah by saying, using the word hijr, but it uses the word hijr to mean intellect. So this valley, and we will see, and I'll show you in a second, inshallah, but this valley is the valley of intellect. That, in, that valley, that wadi, Hijr, as we said, the Quran uses to mean intellect. It became clearer and clearer to me that this surah is telling you what is the nature of your intellect? Is it a valley that you can inhabit with truth and a cause and a principled life? Or is it a valley of the lost? and the wasted surah al-hijr is a challenge as as we will see in in more detail okay so it's it's it's, it's disciplining and educating and raising the Prophet and those who believe, those Muslims who are going to carry a huge burden, the, the burden of the Islamic message, and saying, listen, you know, don't expect that, don't understand there are a lot of people who are committed to being lost in life. They're confused, they're lost, and they are addicted to being lost. And truth will come to them and elude them. And they have the capability to convince themselves of anything that keeps them lost. Because people do become convicted, addicted to misery and also addicted to confusion. It then takes us to now it's going to take us to talk about nature and I'll tell you why it talks about nature in a second this is verse 16 we created planets and stars in the heavens and the skies but then before it it goes on about nature it tells you, you know what? These heavens are protected from Shayateen, from demons. Wahfaz Maha min could li shaitan in Rajin Idla Manistara sama afataba sheabun mubeen. So the the demons might attempt to Let's see how they translate it. Um, Yeah, uh, we have preserved them from every Satan outcast, save a Satan who gains a hearing by stealth, and then manifest flaming star pursues them. Again, if you are studying the Quran carefully, you'd say, wait, I'm being taught about the truth and confusion And I'm going to be reminded of how Allah created everything. Why am I having an intermission, an interlude about how that there are demons who might try to listen to the heavens and they are chased chased away by burning Um, comets or asteroids or whatever it is why here is the answer it it was an old near eastern belief that there, there was a very heavy reliance on fortune tellers and soothsayers If you wanted to do anything, you wanted to get married, you wanted to have children, you wanted to uh, do business, you go to a fortune teller and you say, you pay them obviously, and you say, you know, uh, tell me, is this, should I do this, should I do that, and so on. And it was also a belief that demons find out something about the future, about destiny, about what's going to unfold. And they go and are in league with fortune tellers, to tell fortune tellers about things. And that is the way that fortune tellers sometimes can tell you something about the future. The Quran in Surah Al-Hijj and elsewhere demanded that Muslims alter what used to be a significant part of their culture. In the same way maybe the electronics or or texting is, is a part of our culture. The Quran, this was as important in their culture. And it basically came and is saying, you know, From now on, truth comes from this book, comes from revelation, comes from the prophet, comes from your intellect, comes from studying physical nature, the laws of nature. No longer does it come from superstitious, or what we would call superstition, Means like fortune tellers and demons. That door Islam declared to be closed. And it was a revolution in the culture of these people. So that later on the Quran even says, you know what? Even when fortune tellers say the truth, they're lying. Because although they might give you a fact, the fact that although they might give you a fact uh, tomorrow your brother will have an accident, and it might come true. but that the reference system for that fact is untrue. in other words, that the logic For existence upon which a fortune teller relies in giving you that fact is a lie. So for instance, if you translate to our modern age, fortune tellers will tell you there is a god of the south and a god of the north and a god of the west and east and that these gods are there. Fortune tellers will tell you, oh my spiritual guide whispers in my ears and this is how I hear the dead. Fortune tellers will tell you that there is the god of earth, the god of wind, the god of sea, the god of for you know, fortune tellers if if, if you watch any of these crazy programs about um uh uh like what oh, Amy, what's the program called? Oh. Um, I don't remember paranormal something. Yeah, the the paranormal shows. You might get a little bit of truth. But the total picture is a lie. So, you know, you can be easily misled because you're getting little facts or what could turn out to be facts, but you're not getting the the essential metaphysical truth about the non-material world. And so when the Quran said this, it was also saying to them, listen, truth doesn't come from your fate being decided by the stars and the constellations. Because also the old Near Easterns very much believed in the influence of star constellations upon your life. Uh, th- this is what we, you know, you say, uh, what, um, ho- what's your horoscope? you know, Scorpio, uh, whatever, these things. Uh, for, the, for Near Easterns at that time, it was an essential part of life. The constellations influenced you. The Quran came and abrogated all of that and took people to a new phase in rationality and belief. No, it's not constellations anymore. This is not where the truth comes from. You know, sometimes on Egyptian T V they they actually invite fortune tellers that advise people on what the constellations how the constellations affect their life. And I'm like listening to this and I say, Oh my God, you know, you've gone back to Jahiliya. You've you've regressed all the way back to jahiliya, Because it's a, a part the Quran came and, and told you, No, no, that's not how you deal with the challenges of your life. You don't turn to superstitions like the constellations. Is it possible, by the way, is it possible? And this is, you know, if if we were doing the interactive things, meaning the, the students who are living and working with me, I would have told you much more about this. But is it possible for demons to actually sneak and hear, overhear something and come back and work with a fortune teller? Um, in other words, risk being chased by fire but manage to steal a little bit of information. Yes, it is possible. And it happens all the time. But it's an ongoing battle that we are not aware of. We live our lives unaware of it, uh, and and you shouldn't be aware of it. Uh, you know, um, no. yeah. It, it is it, it it is for for crazy people like me to to study and, uh, but then for rational people like you to completely ignore and <laughs> not engage. Okay. anyway you know my, my wife is, ter- is so scared of this stuff that i you know when i when i go and and like when i'm <laughs> overflowing with information and, and i want to share i never share the stuff with sure. her so you go to well a Shreve could handle it but i i i, yeah. I don't i usually don't go Some of it is just, you you can't give, you can't talk to people about stuff that... um, Anyway... (laughs) Now, note then, the Qur'an then takes you in a journey about nature. Why does the Qur'an take you into a journey about nature? remembers that Surah al-Hajr is a commitment to the holistic truth and total truth. And it, a, a systematic and committed way of life. And to understand that this creation, again, the same thing that this creation has an owner, that if you reflect upon this creation, so it says, Excuse me. When it it says we've sent, um, how did this guy translate it? Wait, um, 22. And we sent forth the winds fertilizing and we sent down water from the sky. I should i I just want to say that for a lot of Quranic commentators were were speculated about what the Quran means by the wind fertilizing because it is only centuries later in the modern age that we we learned that in fact the wind does act to carry pollen to fertilize um uh, plants but for the Quranic commentators for centuries, it's very interesting to read all the different theories that they proposed um, as to what could be the possible meaning of we've sent the wind as fertilizing. In, in the modern age, we can place that in, in context much better than in, in the, the pre-moderns. Those who you know often talk about the scientific miracles of the Quran, this is one of the ayat that they point to. وَإِنَّا لَنَحْنُ وَنُمِيتُ وَنَحْنُ So, after lifting, pointing your attention to nature, it comes back to a theme. This is verse 23. It comes back to a, a constant theme of the total holistic truth that the Quran is teaching you. When all is said and done, it is Allah that remains. وَنَحْنُ Warithun, And we are the inheritors. Now, why? why does it underscore that? Well, look at 24. So, we know al-mustaqdimin al mustaakhirin I want to see how they translated it. 24. Um, this is 24. And we indeed know those among you who advance and we indeed know those who lag behind. Yeah, al-mustaqdimin wal meaning we have total knowledge of those who came before and those who will come after. And when all is said and done, we are the inheritors. Now, there is a very critical point here and that Surah al-Hish will, will underscore. If Allah is not the inheritor, And if there is no accountability, this life is meaningless. The only thing that gives life meaning is in fact that there is an inheritor and there is accountability. And we will see that in a second. Understand that either you commit to a meaningful life which has an end and has an owner and has an inheritor and has consequences or you will be in a confused state where you're not sure why you exist at all and why you came to this earth because there is no inheritor. So you can't say my existence is purposeful. It could be just mere coincidence or an accident. I am coincidence. Well, if you're coincidence, then you're also lacking any meaning. Okay. وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ صَلْصَالٍ حَمَئٍ مَسْنُونَ We've created, created human beings from clay. مِنْ قَبْلُ مِنْ نَارِ السُّمُومِ And jinn were created before human beings from smokeless fire. وإذ قال ربك للملائكة إني خالق بشرا من صلصال من حمأ مسنون، فإذا سويته ونفخت فيه من روحي فقعوا له ساجدين فسجد الملائكة كلهم أجمعين إلا إبليس أبى أن يكون من الساجدين قال يا إبليس مالك لك ألا تكون من الساجدين قال لم أكن أجد لبشر خلقته من صلصال من حماءٍ مسنون قال فاخرج منها فإنك رجيم وإن عليك اللعنه إلى يوم الدين قَالَ فَانْظِرْنِي إِلَى يَوْمِي يُبْعَسُونَ So now it takes us, it's going to, t- your life has a purpose. 40 minutes? Okay. but um, Your life is purposeful and meaningful. Then it takes you to that critical moment of Iblis and the story of the prostration before Adam and Iblis's defiance of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Note here. Oh, um, I, I I wrote myself. A note that I forgot to tell you about. Um, another thing about the reference in Surah Al-Hijr to the sky and to the to the stars and heavens. Um, at the time of the Prophet just so you know that you know people who like to pontificate and uh, pretend that they're they're they're, they're experts it's an ailment of the human soul that existed even at the time of the prophet. You'd think, I mean, just think about it. The prophet is living right there. But if you have the disease of, you know, I like to be looked at as an authority, it's going to act out even if the prophet is there. So at the time that the prophet was there in Mecca, there were a group of people who would get together and study the Quran what was revealed by the time and and they said that it is haram to look at the heavens to to um and the that's that idea spread among them that it is haram to look at the heavens, it is haram to, to reflect upon the heavens, that, uh, and the Qur'an, part of what Surah Al-Hijr did, is that it came and basically told these people, you know, no, Allah wants you to look at the heavens and reflect upon the heavens. Um, I've always thought it's interesting, because, you know, if you'd think that if the Prophet is right there, it would be easy, just go ask the Prophet. But, no, these people wanted to, you know, like the, the, the human ego always draws you to pontificate, even about things that you don't know. More recently, I heard someone who's seen as a, as an authority among Muslims in a lecture, um, well, when I could hear in the old days, um, I mean, just a year ago. And he was giving a talk, and then he was mocking Muslims that when... They they do dua. They look at the heavens, and they're saying, "Oh well, you know how how do you know where where are the heavens? Because the earth is a is circular. So how do you know what's up and down?" And I thought myself, well, just this guy is looked at as an authority among American Muslims. What an idiot! I mean, you. All you have to do is read the Quran and and know that looking at the heavens and reflecting upon the heavens is an entirely legitimate thing. Anyway, so maybe certain things just don't change. (laughs) Where is the... yeah um when in ayah number twenty um when how did he translate Ayah number twenty which says we place there a means of livelihood and for uh, for you and for those for whom you provide not uh, this is the, the the important thing about this this uh, ayah is that uh, earth and sustenance on earth, you, you have a right for what Allah gives you. But when it says, when what you, what, how do you put and for whom you provide not, برازقين, this is a reference to animals, living creatures on earth. Their risk is an entitlement from Allah. So among the, the, the things that when I was praying, when I reached Ayah 20, I saw clearly, at least to me and Allahu A'lam, from Madadullah, that you do not have a right to deny other living creatures their sustenance, their risk from Allah. You can't come and destroy nature and deny birds or insects or um, animals, whatever animals are living in, in a, and say, well, you know, it's all just human need. The earth, when, whatever you do, you have to respect the risk of non-humans that share the earth with you. Um, for those of you who are interested in Islamic environmentalism, I, I point your attention to, even if you read the commentators on ayah number 20, you'll see that centuries ago, commentators were saying, when it says, man lahu is talking about birds and animals and living creatures well if Allah says you have a right but they have a right then the challenge is to figure out how to share that right justly and fairly um There is a, a little footnote, again, about Ayah 20, is that the Meccans, among the things they, they responded to, to a man with a cause, and not just the prophet, but also some of the followers of the prophet, they would consistently say, listen, you are an orphan, we helped raise you, we helped take care of you. And we helped close you and feed you. And this is the way you repay us by defying our institutions of power and coming and telling us about your ethics and your principles. And when al-Hijru was revealed, Muslims cited ayah number 20 in responding to the, 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 these people and saying, You don't have a right, and tamunno alayna. You don't have, just because you kindly helped take care of us as members of your society, it doesn't mean that you have a right to silence us when it comes to a commitment to the truth. And this is like a little footnote about the seerah that I've never seen in any published book other than, I mean, classical texts, old medieval texts. Uh, just it, It's a wonderful point, and a, a point that we confront all the time, and, and, and I don't understand why it was ignored by Muslims. Okay. We come to the defiance of Iblis. When Allah then takes us to the narrative about Iblis, shaitan, defying Allah by saying, (laughs) you've created me from smokeless fire and created this guy or these people from clay Fire is clearly superior to clay because, as some of the Quranic commentators note, that fire, if applied to clay, that's how you get pottery. And so fire shapes and molds clay. Clay doesn't affect fire. So how can you ask me to prostrate or order me to prostrate before the claim. Um, I'm, lo- I'm looking for, for a quote. I don't remember if I wrote it down or not. I didn't write it down but it's okay it was a nice quote from Imam al-Hasan about this but I'm blanking out and apparently I didn't write it but anyway so there are two major sins that shaitan commits one which I've talked about before in different contexts I gave a khutbah about it what we call the, the sin of racism. I am superior to Adam because I am of a substance and Adam of a, a different substance and my substance, my nature is superior to that nature. We call that in our modern language racism. And because of this racism, Allah is clearly angry at shaitan. But there's a further point, and a point that's very important for Surah al-Hajj. What is it that induces shaitan's racism? Why does shaitan... Yes, shaitan has an ego problem, and the ego is huge. And because of that ego, shaitan refuses to submit. And we know that the ego is the cause for confusion and loss and defiance throughout humanity, throughout history. But what is it that feeds the ego? And why is that important for the message of Surah Al-Hijr? This was another thing that required many much zikr and much prayer. And here's the answer. That what shaitan, the, the sin or part of the sin that shaitan commits is that shaitan, like people who live an unprincipled life or a life that is, that is lived in error, fails to see the entire moral picture. Yes, Adam is created by from clay. But have you looked into what is inside that clay? Inside that clay is the breath of God that gave Adam life. Inside that clay is an intellect that is, going to be, that is capable of learning. The failure to consider the totality of things led to the moral error of shaitan. But so is the nature of sexism and racism and bigotry. When I am a racist, what what, what is the sin that i'm committing i'm looking to the color of skin and failing to consider what is beyond the color of skin what what do you call that you call that اجتزاء. اجتزاء what does mean it means that you took a a part you've only uh, um segmented the issue partialized the issue you 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 as an as a you are so r- simple minded and ignorant and idiotic that you fail to see the totality of the picture and what is the totality of the picture that this person is not just skin, color of skin that this is a whole total person when i am a sexist what is it that i what is the sin that i'm really committing i look at a woman and I see that she's a woman. She has the physical features of a woman. What do I ignore? I ignore what's inside that woman. And desire is a huge sin. is, is, the, is, the, is the secret for, for so much sin. When I am selfish, I am looking only to my needs and my wants and my desires. But I'm failing to look at the totality of the picture. When I live a wishful life, when I live a life where I don't do what my faith demands that I do, I am living an inconsistent and an unsystematic and a a um. A paradoxical life, a contradictory life. Why am I living a contradictory life? Because of an desire that I take only a part that I like and ignore so many other parts. If you want to put it differently, and this actually, I kept hearing this over and over, and this was years ago. The nature of justice is do unto others as you want done unto you. What, what is that? When you do unto others what you want done to you, you, took the, you take the full picture into account. When you fail to do that, you are doing ichtizat. You are taking only the, a part of what equity and justice and morality would require. And implementing that part and ignoring the rest. And, was, and we will see, by the way, how Surat al will at, at the end come and slap us in the face by telling us this is the nature of immorality. You'll, you'll see. It come, it, just wait, because it's coming. It's a, it's a full, comprehensive, symphonic performance as all the sword of the Quran are. So, shaitan looks only at, it, at, at the part, the superficial part, doesn't look beyond that, fails to consider the entire picture, and spins off into, and now, note, here, when shaitan Is interacting with God and says that I am not going to prostate and um, and then uh, Allah says okay well you are cursed get out of here and shaitan says okay well you know don't, don't damn me now but give me a chance that I will test them and, and so on and so forth ayah number 29 Zayton says and remember when thy lord said unto the angels uh, no sorry uh no i'm uh, sorry uh, 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 i my my eyesight is not good so it's ayah 39. He said, shaitan said, then verily, uh, oh sorry, God said, uh, God said, then verily thou art among those granted respite till the day of of the moment known until the, the, the final day. Shaitan said, my Lord, since thou hast caused me to err, I shall surely make things seem fair unto them on earth and I shall cause them to err altogether. Note the shaitan here Response to Allah says, Rabbi Bima Lord, by which you have caused me to err. Did Allah Shaitan did Allah cause shaitan to err? Is it Allah's fault that shaitan did what Shaitan did? The answer is no. But, and this is something, by the way, that has been written about considerable amount in, in Islamic theology. Um, the nature of defiant and confused people like Shaitan is to blame others for their mistakes and to project fault. So, Shaitan's fairest response because you it's your fault God it's you know some Muslim theologians like to speculate what would have happened if shaitan would have said okay sorry sorry God I, I please forgive me please forgive me i I've I was wrong but shaitan's defiance is in the belief that well it's not my fault. It's the fault of others. It's circumstances that forced me to put in, be placed in this defiant position. Blame the circumstances. And this is what people that are weak and confused do all the time. They live as we will see further in Surah Al-Hij. It's not my fault you know, my moods are affected by things that happen to me. Sometimes, when they're insolent, they'll even blame God. It, it, but in effect, by the way, when you blame circumstances rather or others, rather than look inwards, you are either being impolite with God, Or you are in fact blaming God. But we just don't like to confront that. We just don't like to admit that. You're saying, I don't like what's happening to me and it's not my fault. So if it's not the fault of any other human beings, then who is the Lord of circumstances? It's God. This is the shaitani part. This is the part from which the shaitan enters again and again and again. Now, the good news that Surah Al-Hijj, however, gives us is that, you know what? Shaytan himself admits that he has no influence over Ibadullah الله المخلصين Shaitan himself admits that. What? Uh, who are? What does Mukhlasin Let's see first the translation. Sorry, uh, forty. Except sincere servants among them. Ah, uh, you said that's what I was scared of. Ibad Allah al mukhlaseen. It is not ibadullah al-mukhlisin. mukhlasin is not those who are sincere servants. al mukhlasin means those, the ibadullah, the, 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 the uh, people of God, al mukhlasin meaning those who struggle to be with God. It is not that they are in a state of ikhlas already. And mukhlasin means that they are people who struggle to be on the side of God. So it is like you are you are struggling to join a party and that party is protected by God. And what does God respond to this? Here, the Qala is me who? It's not the devil who's speaking, it's God who's speaking. And God is saying, Yes, you see, now here is a straight path. What does that mean? Here is a straight path. What Allah is telling us is that the straight there is those who struggle to be on the side of God, those who understand that. The the, the 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 world has a lord and that alt and has an inheritor and has an owner those who understand all of that and those who understand that egoism and arrogance and Bigotry. Bigotry means that you are not committed to seeing the truth in all its nuances and in, in its full picture, but you only take what you want and then you declare that in a convictional manner to be the only thing that you are committed to. And you're going to ignore the rest. That's what bigotry is. Sexism, racism, you know, what, whatever it is, you don't see the full, the, you, you refuse to give equal weight to everything that deserves equal weight, so the skin of the per- a person is far more important than their heart and intellect. The 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 gender of a person is far more important than their their heart and their intellect, etc. etc. Et the age of a person is far more important than anything else. That's the partiality in knowledge and the uh, um the What is the straight path? The straight path is to realize all of that. Has Siratul Allah is saying, oh, yes, those who understand that either they are with me or they're fair game. If they're with me, they're no longer fair game. So then this is affirmed by Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala inna ibadi laka alayhim sultan illa man min alghawin those who are committed to me you have no authority or jurisdiction over them it doesn't it, it means that if they go towards you it will be their choice It is because of their choice in life that they drift away from the divine to the demonic. But Allah's protection was offered to them and granted to them. Now again if I had the students working with me this would be something that we would spend a lot of time on. But My journey with the Quran has convinced me of the following. There is an evil that develops from drifting away from God, and there is an evil that develops from a companionship with the demonic. And you don't, you go in stages. When you're born, you're born on the side of the divine. It is your choices in life that start taking you away from the jurisdiction and the sovereignty of the divine, the protection of the divine, the the protective shield of the divine. And the more you drift away and further away you get from the light and closer you get to the dark the closer you get to the territory where you are no longer erring because of failure of judgment but erring because of an affirmative intervention of the demonic and once you are in the grasp of the demonic coming back to the divine becomes harder When your sin is the result of omission, omission, it is much easier to go back to Allah. But if you keep omitting, 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 and you drift to the demonic, um, loosening the grasp of the demonic is not as easy as people think. Again, I would have loved the opportunity and maybe Allah will will, and Allah have the opportunity to take some people, you know, through a journey so they can fully understand that and why that is. Um, But, you know, demons surround us and... Our lifestyles opens up spaces for demons and invites demons into our lives. Um, it's, for people who, who see this truth, it, it blows my mind that there are people who live wanting to believe that, that evil just doesn't exist. Or that it it's not it doesn't interact with us, it, it in fact interacts with us all the time, and uh, not all jinn are evil, obviously, but the jinn that have committed to shaitan and the jinn that have committed to defying Allah and frankly um, are committing to being enemies of Allah the 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 extent to which they hate human beings, they absolutely despise human beings. It just always amazes me. I mean, it it just it's they're raised on 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 that, and they're taught that um, they are the most racist beings. In fact, that's why like white supremacists and Nazis reminds me of, of demons, because they share with them the racism. The racism of demons is directed at humanity, all human beings. They hate human beings just because of what they are. And white supremacists and Nazis and so on, they hate people just because of what they are. Okay, note, then after giving us this, that principle, critical principle of the demonic and the divine, and what leads to the demonic and what leads to the divine, as the Quran regularly does, it reminds us of the world of consequences. It reminds us of the world of consequences, as we will see, to tell us that without a world of consequences, your life would be meaningless. But then it brings the entire picture to us by, if you look at Ayah forty-nine and fifty, "Nabi' ibadi ani ana al-Ghafur al-Rahim wa anna azabi huwa al-azab al So, what is the entire picture? I, Allah, I am the most Forgiving and merciful, and at the same time, my punishment is severe. What do people who are confused and lost do? They do is desire. Now, pay attention to this. When when if when I prayed and 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 this visited me. I kept, I, I kept bawling tears. The ijtisa is those people who pick and choose with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Either they believe, they want to believe that just in Allah's mercy and forgiveness and ignore Allah's punishment. And these are the wishful people the people who think that they can live a life of sin and it doesn't matter. But then there are the other people who focus on Allah's punishment and ignore Allah's mercy and forgiveness. And these are the angry people, the fanatic people, the woe to you people. You want the total truth Commit to the balance, as we will see in Surat al-Hajj when it reminds us of the balance, in a second. Commit to the truth, which is the both, the forgiving and merciful, and the punishing. In other words, the just, that the meaning of life is the just, justice in consequences to be a balanced human being adopt understand both in full measure and don't give an egotistical preference to one over the other according to your according to your own whim Okay, let's uh, pre-answer here because we're going to move on to the next segment in Surah Al-Hajj.